My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. We developed a landmark project that I can be proud of, that I can showcase to my family and friends and say, I was involved in that. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's the why. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're back with Matt Koo, the Managing Director of ICD Property. He'll share how he manages large development projects with his team and the kind of strategies they implement to achieve the best results. You'll also hear how he bounced back from being made redundant his driving factor for developing property, and much, much more. Hey! Aside from investing in property development, Matt Koo delves into the very first property he purchased. The first property was a, um, the apartment which my, my wife and I purchased when we got married. Um, and, you know, like... I guess you know the thinking about it was all right. We we want something that um, you know is in uh, with all the amenities around it that we we would use, um, and also one that we could pro- possibly see as a as an investment long term once we move out into our sort of family home. Um, yeah, and, and and it's funny, like you you know at that stage of your life what your interests are and, and that very much just you know um determines what the house looks like and 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 or the property that you purchase and then um yeah now now like you know being in a family home like like you can never sort of see yourself in that it's a different phase of life um but yeah like the just trying to reflect on the the emotions of it um it's really quite daunting, actually. Um, uh, we, um, when we liked, knew we liked the property, we were very nervous to go to auction, um, and so we we ended up making an offer beforehand. Um, and I think when you make offers beforehand, um, it's obviously to a point where the vendor will be satisfied. Um, it's probably also like the agents um, advising. You know, you're not going to get a better offer in, in in an auction. So you do pay. I, in my mind, um, especially if the vendor isn't desperate, you pay sort of top dollar or, or at least sort of at market. Um, but as a buyer, I think it also 
you really want a property, it gives you that certainty. So you purchased that property that was in Melbourne CBD. How long ago was that roughly? Uh, it wasn't Melbourne City. It was actually um, at South Yarra, which is it's inner Melbourne. Yeah, but close, close to Mandy and stuff. That was in 2010. After purchasing his first property and working in finance, he goes on to share at what stage he jumped into property development. I was already working at ICD um, probably a couple of years. Um, my first uh, personal development actually came through one of my friends who was already doing development and um, he wanted to partner to um, explore, you know, more complicated types of development than just um, uh, the simple townhouse, which he, he was doing a fair bit of. Um, and so I came on board and we explored it and did a whole bunch of feasibilities and other considerations. And ultimately, I, we, we landed at the um, conclusion that we could do all that but actually doing the townhouses, the simple um, form was going to be easier to secure finance, um, lower risk to sell, uh, lower risk and less capital to develop, to build. Um, and the returns were actually stronger as well. So I was like, look, I get you want to do this. Maybe you're kind of bored of doing the simple stuff, um, but actually it looks like doing the simple stuff is better for you on many perspectives. Um, and uh, that, that started our relationship in doing um, and partnership to do developments together and you know, we've now done four or five um, of those simple type of townhouses and it's just, it's just a good one to have on the side. Um, I get probably a little bit more involved in design elements and stuff whereas in ICD, you know, we've got um, architects who are the expert at, ex- experts in that and you've got a lot of other helping hand. Ku shares how many townhouses he was developing with his partner at the time. Most of the sites, the projects are generally about three to five townhouses. So really simple. We're talking about buying a, 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 um, a residential block, you know, um, typically 700 plus square meters. Um, corners are the best and, and, and usually um, north facing with a sort of a, a um, vertical directional if that makes sense but uh, yeah um but obviously it depends on the the, the zoning and then planning um uh restrictions in, in on, on a particular site but yeah generally that's the sort of size yeah well 700 square meters is, is a reasonable size um how many can you actually get fit on there and i guess it depends on the council too but how many usually you can fit on a block like that between um three to five if you get a 700 square meter block in, in Sydney, most of the time, depending on which council, most you could do is a duplex. They wouldn't even allow you to even build that many on there, which is really interesting. So, I guess it's depending on the council, depending on location. Yeah. And, it, and even in the short time that I've been developing, um, yeah, the, the, the councils have changed their, their regulations. Um, so, you do find that what you possibly could have done a few years ago um, is is you know probably not possible now um and yeah that's that's around trying to restrict the um the density in in some of the suburbs he goes on to reveal some of his worst investing moments and the lessons he learned a big risk for a lot of smaller developments um and look there's actually a risk for any development um is around the builder um so we 
we've actually had a builder fall over on one of our projects. Um, and we're still completing that project now. <laughs> um, probably, probably a year after we would like to have completed it. Um, so that has, you know, a real material impact on, on your outcomes. Um, and sort of reflecting on, you know, um, reflecting on how we could have mitigated against that. Um, I think it's really important to do greater assessment on builders that you're looking to engage. Um, and I think, you know, making sure you understand their financial capacity um, and cash flow, uh, that, you know, builders rely heavily on, on cash flow. And when they um, are in trouble, they start to turn the tap off on their subcontractors. So, and then you get issues there. So, um, digging into that, whether you're asking the subcontractors, whether um, you're looking up for any um, court or um, uh, in, you know, um, uh, claims you know, against against a builder um, online, uh, and understanding how much work they've got on. Um, a lot of builders um, that go broke uh, are generally ones that are looking to grow really quickly. Too much, they have too much debt. Those who want to keep doing the same thing, as we talked about before, like it's hard to stuff up something you know really well. He reflects on the process for choosing this builder for the particular project and when he realized things were not going right. Yeah, look, I think um, we probably prioritized um, as an investment, prioritized price, but also prioritized like just got a gut feel that they, they seem like a good builder. They're very organized, very structured, um, but probably didn't ask the right questions or we didn't ask the right questions around the capacity and any sort of uh, bubbling issues going on in, in, in the company. I guess happens when we're going through the whole process as well. Due diligence, you know, we try our best, but sometimes just, you know, it doesn't hit the mark. On the face of it, I think people can dress things up really nicely. Um, it seems okay, but yeah, you do need to dig in. Further. He goes on to share some of the moments where everything just clicked for him. For me, I had a lot of doubt in my capabilities um, going into ICD, and um, you know, when we were able to secure that joint venture partner, um, you know, an in institutional group and you know, a thirty billion dollar company based out of China, um, listed in, on the stock exchange there, to invest in our project that I was managing, um, it to me gave a lot of validity that, you know, I'm doing something okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the lesson I learned from that is um, there's no right or wrong way to, to developing projects. Um, I guess you just have to find your own logic and make sure that, you know, your fundamentals make sense. Um, for me, I drew a lot on how a financier would approach a, a property development. Um, I also, where I didn't know what was the best way of doing things, I, I benchmarked the best um, out there. So I looked at what other people are doing globally, locally, um, and I was like, well, if they did it and it works, 
then copy it. He further explains how he has been able to put these large property developments together. It doesn't matter what scale it is because even even sometimes the individual smaller projects, you're talking big capital um, for anyone, um, for myself included. They're big decisions and you, you um, it's, it's easy to focus on the downside, um, the you know, what if and the, um, the negative rhetoric that goes with that. And um, it's often that which really holds you back from making um, crucial decisions and, and sort of helping you propel forward. Um, I think... Something I learned from both Michael, who, who's, who's my boss, and, and his father, who's had a lot of experience um, running a large company, you can't mitigate or, sorry, you, you can't get rid of all risks. Otherwise, you might as well just, you know, put your money in the bank or wherever else you can possibly make some, you know, risk-free money. But if you can satisfy yourself that, you're comfortable with the worst case scenario, the exit strategy, call it, um, if things don't work out with your decision, um, then you can sleep at night. So if you know that, okay, I'm going to buy this site and I'm going to develop it, but if you know the feasibility doesn't stack up or the market turns or whatever it is, I can sell this site and possibly lose $100,000 or $200,000 then you know you and you can live with that then then you can you remove the stress and i think that's a, a critical part about making decisions um and and sleeping at night <laughs> he talks about the sort of strategy he and his team implement to ensure they reach a certain stage in the developing process it's worth having more than one scenario i think like if you think that everything's going to go this way then um, you're going to be in a, for a rude shock. Um, but, yeah, generally we'll run probably three scenarios, um, a, a, a base case, a target, and a, and a, and a worst case or stress case. Um, and uh, really focuses more on the base and the, and, the, and, the, and the stress, you know, like what do we want to achieve and see is realistically possible? And, you know, what if we get delays or things cost more than they should and all that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's a process. And then, and then really our decisions would be based on, like, you know, what's the return we're getting in the base case? Yep, we're satisfied with that. Um, like, that, that's a good use of our money. And then the stress case is like, okay, what's going to happen if, you know, worst case scenario, are we going to lose money? Are we going to have enough money? You know, all those sort of um considerations and then we're, we're comfortable with that and have the mitigants in place to ensure that um, you know, that that is the worst case that's going to happen but also less likely than, than it could if we didn't mitigate against it. Due to the current unforeseen climate, he goes on to explain how the changing environment has impacted some of his projects. I'll probably use the most, uh, not controversial but one that I think has um, been impacted the most um, from this. And I would say that uh, our Adelaide project, um, because we, in the very early phases of, of that, um, it, it's good and it's bad. I'm going to say bad even. It's, it's, it's good in that we 
haven't got everything rigidly in place. Um, it's, going, it's a development of 16,000 square metres of office. It's um, close to 10,000 square metres of retail space. It's got a hotel in there and, and it's got residential as well. So if, if I was to say, like, um, if we're completing that project now in the state of the market, retail is shot, office has got, you know, um, challenges in the horizon, Hotel hasn't been operating for you know <laughs> across the, the world, and and I think the latest reports on international tra- travel is going to be um, not um, you know back to normal until 2023. So um, there are a lot of headwinds for a project like that that's in design, in the sense that we need to consider and and um, and work within a very uncertain framework of what is office going to look like at the end of this, like. Has is the new normal um, meaning that people don't work in office spaces anymore? I, I don't think that's the case. But like you know, like how much is it going to change, and how do we build into that? Um, and we've done part of that by restructuring the way the office is designed. So we were originally going to have two towers. Now we're, we're combining them with a central core, which enables you to have two separate areas still so you can there's a lot of flexibility in the size of the spaces um or we could have a, a large contiguous space of you know two and a half that two two thousand two and a half thousand square meters so like it, you know that that's one element of it um i guess with the, the office as well like you know um in this challenging time we want to create positivity and we'd like to work with you know the government and the various bodies to potentially firm up demand in that. So I know that there's a number of government um, departments as well as um, uh, ancillary sort of groups associated with the government that are looking for space. They want this development to um, go up and go up quickly. That's another way of sort of supporting it. So um, looking into those areas for office, for retail, and retail is a big one, you know, like, you know, Everyone's now gotten used to online. Um, how does that change the retail space? And I think um, it was already heading in that direction, just probably a bit slower than it has now. Um, so I think the fundamental about retail is really making an interactive, entertainment-focused space. Um, you know, like it's not just about buying your goods because if you can buy your goods, you've got a supplementary source for that now. Um, so how do you make it something that is not replaceable? Coming up after the break, we hear about Matt Koo's biggest why for doing what he does. I can't say that I, I, I started off with the why at the very start of, of working at ICD, but it's definitely evolved, especially now in, a, in this leadership role um, at ICD. I've realized the importance of why. Um, why drives everything. Like if, if you don't have a reason of doing what you do, you'll, you'll fizzle and burn out um, because you won't have that drive. The kinds of resources that have inspired him throughout his journey. Podcasts are great. And I'll, um, and uh, But there is one book, I'd say, um, and it's not even a property book. It's Ben Graham's... Um, no intelligent investor. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory.
Cool. Dell's monitors LA project and whether they're focused more on residential units and is predominantly commercial and office space. It does have um, circa sort of 300 apartments in there. Um, and, uh, you know, like that, that's another area to really explore as well. Um, there's a sort of rising trend towards build to rent um, type development. So, you know, in terms of um, mitigating potential residential sales risk, could you look at, at, at M1 Mine and um, the focus on build to rent is around yield and yields are stronger in Adelaide than they would be in Sydney and Melbourne uh, with the lot prices. So that's another thing to sort of explore. And, and all these things, there's, as you can start to see with a, a, a more complex project, a large project like this, there's a, a lot of things to consider in the current environment. He shares with us exactly how he manages all these projects and how he empowers his team to ensure they get things done. We've set up a, a system where the, the team has full empowerment and it's then up for them to come to us when they need support. And because um, we are in regular um, touch points, I, as I say we, like uh, me and, and the leadership team, um, we, we get regular updates from the guys on things that matter. Um, they'd leave us out on the very specific details that are going on, but um, we get to understand the, um, the key drivers, the things that are um, fundamentally going to impact the value of a project. Um, and, and that's probably like a good lesson learned for those out there in, is that um, you can focus on the color of a tap or, you know, like um, a, um, a something minute or small like that, you know, a tile that's $30 versus another tile that's $28 or something like that. But um, if you take a step back and look at things that are going to make more difference, um, uh, one, they're more fulfilling, I think, and you don't get so bogged down. Um, yeah, and, and they're obviously going to make a, a greater impact. So it might seem like I know a lot about the project. I think if you ask me the and details of things, I would be, I would struggle for sure. Um, but in terms of going back to your question, managing it, um, yeah, like having good people around you that you can trust is key. With his impressive achievements as a managing director for ICD, he delves into his biggest why for doing what he does. I can't say that I, I, I started off with the why at the very start of, of working at ICD, but it's definitely evolved, especially now in, a, in this leadership role um, at ICD, I've realized the importance of why. Um, why drives everything. Like if, if you don't have a reason a, 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 of doing what you do, you'll, you'll fizzle and burn out um, because you won't have that drive. Uh, if I was to sum it up in, in one sentence as a personal why, um, for me, like I want to do stuff that's going to um, make my, my kids proud of of, of what their dad's been able to achieve um, and you know having that really deep meaningful reason for for doing something I think is, is really important and um, sharing that with the team uh, like I, I realized that it's it's not an isolated thing everyone um, that works at ICD has a really deep purposeful reason um, for developing what we do and we our so we we don't want to develop things 
purely just to make money. Um, it's an important aspect as a, as a commercial, as a, as a corporation. Um, but we've actually got a, a motto that you know, we, we want to develop buildings that stand the test of time, beautiful buildings that stand the test of time. Um, what that really speaks to and, and captures for all of us is this idea of, um, of passion. You know, you're doing something you're passionate about. Um, it's developing that sustainability um, from an investment perspective, uh, from a community perspective. So you're de- delivering an, a, an end product that you know is good for the people you're developing for. So you, that feeling of, yep, I've done something good for the community. I've done something good for our purchasers. Um, we're not shortchanging them. They're going to get a great investment themselves. They're going to get great enjoyment out of the, the pro- product that we've created for them. Uh, and for our staff, as a stakeholder themselves, um, you know, that sense of pride. We developed a landmark project that I can be proud of, that I can showcase to my family and friends and say, I was involved in that. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's the why. He goes on to talk about the kinds of resources that have helped him along his journey. Podcasts are great, you know, um, and, uh, so, but uh, there is one book uh, I'd say, um, and it's not even a property book. It's Ben Graham's, um, you know, Intelligent Investor. Um, what I learned from that was, and that's a, that's a that's a book that Warren Buffett often refers to. And I think Warren Buffett is probably a, um, a you know an important influencer in the way I go about looking at investments. Um, one thing is, and this is why I don't go into shares, <laughs> is is understand what you invest in. You know, like know to the core, the fundamentals of what you're investing and, and that it makes sense to you. Um, and only time I've lost money is investing in shares off people's recommendations. So uh, <laughs> that's, 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 that, that to me is fun, you know, really important. Know what you're investing in um, and making sure that you're investing in good value. You know, buy at the right time and the right property. Um, you know, that, 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 their core. Um, but outside of outside of reading, like um, you know, podcasts, uh, and I, I, I prescribe that to mine are mainly mainly around leadership um, rather than so much on the property side of things. Um, but entree leadership as a as a podcast has been really um, useful for me, um, and that's more around uh, actually interactions with and and leading staff. Um, because as I mentioned before, like how do you manage all of this? Actually, for me now, and the way I go about running um, it, the businesses is around um, how I interact and influence staff and influence consultants and stuff, which uh, I guess for on a smaller scale, it's still important. Like treat people well, and you'll you know you'll be rewarded with. Um, you know, uh, with dedication, loyalty, uh, and, and results. Um, and I think, you know, structuring things, um, to do that, you know, is, is key. So yeah, entree leadership is one, um, we've actually at, at work, we've, um, aligned with a, a group called performance shift, uh, Kirk Peterson, uh, he comes in and, and, um, again, it's more around self management and team, interaction and management than, than anything else. Um, from a property side of things, 
um, uh, like I, I look up to, to Michael, who's my boss, and um, and his father as well, um, who, who runs a, a like a, a conglomerate that has a large property component of, and really understands the fundamentals around property on a global scale. Um, and you know, there are some really wise people outside in, in the property industry. Um, one is the head of EG Funds Management, Adam Gutman. Um, every time I talk to him, I think I get wiser. So, and then there's other people in the, that I've you know come across. My ex-boss at ANZ, I still keep in touch with him a lot, Adrian Blake. Um, yeah, he, he's phenomenal in, in, in knowing the, the, the property industry and, and, and the trends and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think like whenever you find people that really – inspire you and 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 um and uh motivate you and also give you great insight you got to hold on to those people if he had some time to reflect on his past self 10 years ago we find out what he would have said to himself 10 years ago would have probably been smack bang on you know when i got made redundant so that would be perfect timing to to impart some wisdom um the positive attitude is very important in life. Um, you can look at anything half full or half empty and, um, and you will achieve a lot more if you're positive about any situation at all. Um, so I, I guess it's sort of a, a guiding point I would, I would say that um, to my former self. Um, I also feel like I got into property development on my own, on my own part um, a lot later. I, I definitely thought about it earlier, uh, sort of around 10 years ago, but never took the dive into it. It took a friend of mine to you know, influence and persuade me into it. Um, but if I was able to, to speak to my former self, I would say, just, just give it a go. Like, you know, the worst thing that can happen is you lose your money and you get a really good lesson in life. What's interesting as well, you mentioned back in 2010 was when you first purchased your first property, which is that apartment, right? So, that's around that same time. Was it before? Yeah, I can't remember how, what the timing was, whether it was before or after. I, I have a feeling I got made redundant before, got a new job and then purchased the property. Yeah, because it was late late 2010 when we got purchased the property at the same time. But uh, yeah, the I think like, you know, I recovered pretty quickly out of it. <laughs> he looks forward to the future where he shares what is happening for him in the upcoming five years. Yeah, pretty much last year, picked up all these amazing projects. The one in LA, the one in, um, oh, we have approval for Sydney, picked up our Auckland project. I'm really excited to be doing those projects and over the next five years, that's what's going to come to fruition uh, as well as the one in Melbourne, which will be completed over that time. Um, and yeah, and we're really excited about, um, you know, what's in store for us in the next year or two. There's a lot of uncertainty, but, um, you know, I think once we, are um, settled down on these other big projects, like I'm really keen for our, our team to be purchasing and, 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 and getting involved in more projects. Last question for you is how much of your success is due to your skill, intelligence and hard work and how much of it is because of luck? Well, that's a good question. Um, like I, again, I'm a doubt. I don't, skill, I don't think of myself as very skillful, um, mainly hard work. 
Now, look, I, I, my, my thinking around luck is, you know, you make your own luck. You've got opportunities. Everyone's got opportunities in their life. Um, it's what you make out of them. So, um, like, if you want to call that luck, like something just drops in front of you, you've got to pick it up. And um, so I would say, you know, 90% hard work. Um, and don't see hard work as a negative either. Like, the hard work is enjoyable when you get an outcome. So, uh, yeah, I think that and then, yeah, 5%, 10% skill. <laughs> Thank you to Matt Koo, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.